Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Show. Coming up today, we'll be talking women's football, reflecting on the first two weeks of the new Guernsey Women's League. Joel Pengeli joining us for a chat. We'll also be looking back at the weekend's Prio League action, including what might be the quickest goal scored in Prio history, a very difficult one to check. Chat on the latest Prio results to come and we'll reflect on Guernsey FC's defeat at the weekend away in the Isthmian South Central Division. I'm Tony Kerr and alongside me as ever is Rob Batiste. Hi Tony. Good to see you back Rob. How was your week off? It was very strenuous, um, wielding a kango hammer and mallets and spades and very, very strenuous. But it was very enjoyable. Oh, we look well the brain rested. didn't have to work for once. <laughs> oh, it's good that you were back in time, though, to see some Prio football on Saturday, as we say, um, uh, roundup of uh, the latest local football to come. But let's start with GFC, because they were away at Uxbridge in the Isthmian South Central and a narrow defeat against another one of the league's um, sort of heavy hitters this season. Yeah, um, I haven't spoken to Tony Vance today. Um, it seems that he was very encouraged by the performance again. Um, you know, Uxbridge were cl- are clearly um, one of the promotion favourites. And if they win their game in hand, they'll be close within two points of Bracknell, who showed their class at Footslane last, last week. And, um, no, it was um, a decent performance. Uh, they, they took a small squad. They only had two subs. Um, you know, they've been stretched a little already um, in this, what will be a very bu- busy season. And I guess that's probably one of their biggest concerns is actually um, maintaining a decent strength of squad f- through this programme, you know, an eight, a 36-game programme. Um, because it's quite clear that, you know, we haven't got huge resources. We're not, um, we can't react, for example, like Northwood, who came to Foots Lane early in the season and we beat them 2-0 quite comfortably. They, they, they um, last, they recently appointed a new manager and straight away they brought in six new signings and at the weekend beat Chipstead 1-0 away from home and Chipstead gave us a bit of a pasting, to be honest. So um, that shows, you know, what some of these teams can do to 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 get their season going on Guernsey, Guernsey FC unfortunately never have been able to do that and never will be probably um, you know we just have to make do with what we what we have and um, but the lads are playing well and it's um, as we've said before it's doing a vital role in Guernsey football actually putting you know it's a cherry on the cake yeah and eight games into the season um I suppose GFC's players and and you know the staff are getting a sense of of the league and and for Tony Vance, um, yeah, perhaps the indication is that it's not quite as strong as where they were before. No, um, Tony feels that um and and, and the the evidence probably backs that up. You know, um, Bracknell and Oxbridge are well up there, but you look at the look at the league detail and the bottom ten sides only six points separate those ten sides. It would seem that you know there are. Um, um, there aren't quite so many teams in this South Central Division who are prepared to splash the cash big time. Um, whereas in the South East League, um, Tony is of the opinion there were probably six or seven teams who were really digging deep to actually um, get themselves promoted. Whether that's down to um, a lessening of ambitions or shortage of money post, um, post-COVID, who knows? Because let's face it, I mean, um, one or two clubs went to the wall um, during that period, but... We all expected a lot, lot more teams to actually fold um, because they were had got themselves into a situation where they were paying ridiculous money for, um, you know, 
pretty average footballers on occasion. Yeah, next up for GFC, it's a home match against Chertsey Town. Yeah, that won't be Saturday. easy. They, they, they're unbeaten, Tony. Um, they played 10, won six, drawn four. And if, if people, some people may well remember that, of course, they were the team that ended the Jersey Bulls FA Cup qualifying round. So there's something good about them anyway. <laughs> They'll be applauded off uh, whether they They'll lose or draw on They'll be applauded onto the pitch for ending Jersey Bulls. <laughs> Cup run. Yeah, very popular. I'm sure there'll be a few beers being bought for, for Chertsey Town in the uh, the bar afterwards. Yeah, but, uh, but interesting, actually, when they did beat uh, the Jersey Bulls, Gary Freeman, the Jersey coach, said that they were a very, very good team. and had all bases covered. He was very impressed. Um, so, uh, you know, it doesn't look as if it's going to be a very easy game for the Green Lions this Saturday. But, you know, we've got some great talent in our side. And, um, you know, when there's people like Ross Allen and Charlton Govine about... There's always hope. Yeah, so it is GFC at home against Chertsey uh, next Saturday. This tough little run continues as well with a trip to Marlow the weekend after. But yeah, some reflections I'm sure to come on next week's football show uh, from that home game against Chertsey. Later on, we'll be talking Prio football, but next, our attention turns to the women's game. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Football Show. If you're enjoying the podcast, do give us a, a like and a share on social media. Give us a rating or a review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to. And do uh, hit subscribe to get every episode delivered uh, straight to you. Uh, now, we spoke about this uh, earlier on in the season, the return of women's league football in Guernsey uh, after a, about a five-year hiatus. Uh, great to see uh, three teams formed out of the Guernsey Ladies FC to compete in a uh, league programme, which is going to take us into the new year as well. It kicked off last weekend. Uh, we've now had two fixtures in the New Look competition. Uh, the three sides, Guernsey Ladies City, Guernsey Ladies United and Guernsey Ladies Atletico. And it's two wins so far out of two for Guernsey Ladies United, uh, led by Captain Katie Watson. But to reflect back on these first two weeks of this new league setup and talk about women's football more generally in Guernsey, we were joined a little bit earlier on uh, by the Women's Development Officer for the Guernsey FA, Joel Pengeli. Joel, thanks very much for coming in. Great to see you. Yeah, nice to see you. Thank you for having me. Two weeks into this new Guernsey Women's League then, and all three sides have played uh, a game now. You were involved at the weekend, uh, the first game for uh, Guernsey Ladies Atletico, who you're turning out for. Um, just sum up the, the couple of weeks so far and, and uh, yeah, how it's all going. Yeah, it's been a fantastic start to the season. We've got three squads uh, that we've created as evenly as we could. So we actually, we drafted the teams. Um, so try and make that opportunity and the match as, as competitive as possible. So it's just been fantastic to see those players arriving to play those matches, doing a proper warm-up, getting on the pitch and playing in their fully kitted out gear. Um, so we've got our three kits, Atletico and the Mighty Oranges, nice bright tangerine, um, with United are yellow and City are blue. So it's just having that identity, making a proper team, uh, creating that actual vibe of competitive football. Uh, we've obviously been training regularly, um, week in, week out for the last four or five years, just trying to build the amount of women that we have involved in football. And it's now fantastic to have that opportunity to have enough players to create those squads and play those matches. Yeah, how much of a sort of tipping point are we at then? Because as you say, it's been a few years since there was a women's league in the island. But to, to get to this stage, is this the moment you've been waiting for? I think it's definitely the biggest step forward we've had in a while. Um, it's fantastic to be able to create that. I also think it might be due to the timing with Island Games coming up and people looking towards those commitments and what they want to commit to. Uh, but it's also, we needed to create something locally to be able to play 
to be able to be good enough to play Marathis and play Island Games because before COVID struck us, um, we were playing in the Channel Islands League, which is a fantastic opportunity. We had a squad that was travelling and playing those fixtures um, in Jersey. I think we managed to have one home game. Um, so we had that momentum then and we were ready to go into the Marathi with those players. Um, and unfortunately, it all got called off. But we were at a point where we had enough respectable players uh, that can play at a certain level to be competitive. Uh, so it's keeping that momentum forward and we've built up those numbers of players and built those three squads to move forward and progress. Were you close at all to perhaps having a fourth team? I mean, I think, yeah, the decision was made to make three teams to start with um, because the number of players we see regularly is normally about 25 um, on a training night, but each week can be a different number of 20 to 25 players. Um, so it's being realistic is if we did four teams, I think we would have stretched ourselves too thin and been unsuccessful to start with. Uh, so what we've done is created those three squads and built them up um, in the hope we've started playing nine aside, so playing nine aside league, and we're hoping that we might be able to build that up enough to play 11 aside at some point that's the next step I think rather than stretching to four teams can we get three competitive teams and build up towards playing 11 aside football and of that sort of group you've got for the three teams are they um what sort of percentage are new faces newcomers to football or are there a lot of old faces come back no there's a lot of young players uh predominantly they're all 16 17 18 years old and then we've got yeah the captains of each team are those that are experienced I won't say the word older, but um, <laughs> those experienced players um, that have played. So we've probably only got a handful of players across the whole three teams that have ever played representative football before. Um, so it's building up that new base. And there's lots of players that have become involved that have just decided they want to try out a new sport, are interested in playing. Um, and those players have come in, they've developed really well over the course of the training sessions. Um one example is Bella Rosia came in. She's not really played football before. She was a netballer and she scored in both games for United so far um, and is their top goal scorer. And what's the atmosphere been like around those two matches so far? As you said, you made your uh, Atletico debut, the, the, the first match for your side on uh, on Sunday. Um, yeah, what, what's the sort of vibe been like? Is there a real um, sense that this is an opportunity that everyone has to seize? Yeah, definitely. It's massive buzz around it. And it's like we turn up and play yesterday and the one team that weren't playing, pretty much every player was there on the side of the pitch just because they want to watch and be involved. It's a real friendly environment. Um, as much as you can get yeah, competitive on the pitch, it's still you're smiling at the end of it. It's a fantastic opportunity just to be able to play football in that way. What's your hopes in terms of bringing more young girls through? I mean, presumably you're in all the schools. Um, playing girls yeah, football. Yeah, so um, obviously I go into all the primary schools um, from year one all the way up into the secondary schools and interacting. So there's coming up, there's going to be the um, secondary schools into school matches for the girls. Um, so the school teachers actually run it, um, but I always make myself there and make myself seen sort of thing to see the girls that are playing in those year groups to build forward. Um, and we've got our Junior Girls Academy that we've started setting up. Uh, we've just brought in a new batch of Year 5 and Year 6 girls, so we're developing um, a selected squad from Year 5 and Year 6, and we did that two years ago. So we've also got a Year 7 and Year 8 squad as well. So it's building up those players from a young age and giving them that formatted football um, to develop them. So the under-13s have been playing in... Um, they've been doing development tournaments... Um, 
at KG5. They've done two so far, so they're playing against other under-13 players that aren't quite getting club-level football in the league. Um, so all those spare players at the clubs are being given that second opportunity. So we've put our girls' team in with them and they're holding their own and play, playing really well against boys of their own age, which is the first time we've done anything in their own age group. We normally play down a year against the boys just to level out that ability, but they're actually playing against people their own age and developing forward from that way. So we're now having that pathway coming through and it's just allowing for those girls to keep going through the pathway until they become 16 to be able to play competitive football for women. Could you see um, all girls' teams playing in the normal develop, park development leagues at some stage in the future? I would love for that, but I would also love for there to be a girls' league. Um, the, ultimate, the ultimate goal is to have girls' sections in every local club. Um, that's the biggest way to do it. Obviously, when I was a youth player... Um, we had girls football and we did girls festivals once a month and, and played that way. So I never had the opportunity to play with the boys. It was separate at that time. But I think it's a good opportunity for the girls to play with the boys. Um, their development is slightly ahead because some girls might choose later on um, in life to pick up football, whereas boys pretty much play football from four years old, right? Like that's the first thing they go to do, whereas girls will always be sent to dancing or music um, as the first hobby to do. Um, so it's kind of just trying to catch up with that delay between the boys and the girls to be able to do that. But yeah, ideally, love to have girls' teams playing in the leagues or having a girls' league on its own. And obviously, yeah, you know, those sort of artistic pursuits are also important and, uh, you know, a part of the life's rich tapestry. I'm not disrespecting any of those, but, no. but, but is that a thing that you'd like to see parents actually um, introducing their girls to, to these kind of sports a bit earlier on? Yeah, exactly. So the biggest thing is trying to get rid of football as a boy sport. Uh, I think that's something we've overcome quite a lot, but there's still that little barrier that's oh, but I can't do that, that's a boy's sport. Anyone can play any sport. It shouldn't be limited, and it, that mindset needs to kind of be reset. Um, and it's trying to, when I talk to the girls about playing, it's not like it's the boys against the girls, they're just footballers. It doesn't matter that they're boys or that they're girls. They want to play football and they have that ability to do so. So it would be lovely to see. Um, but through the work here that I've been doing in the primary schools is seeing a lot of those younger girls in that school environment doing football. But it's then how do we get them from inside school doing football to coming outside school and doing it as a hobby away from the school environment? Yeah, I mean, as women's football you know, booms and goes from strength to strength nationally, internationally as well. I mean, it's 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 uh, such an exciting time um, from that perspective. Do you notice like attitudes changing amongst young girls at, uh, of that age? Is it cutting through to them that that you know it's something they really want to get involved in? Yeah, massively. I think it helps having the exposure like on normal TV. Obviously, it's fantastic to not have to click the red button to watch women's football and it just be actually on mainstream TV. It makes a big difference and makes those idols more obvious. But a lot of girls will still be talking about men's football and Premier League football. And it's just trying to develop that talk about the WSL. And um, obviously it's the Women's Euros next year as well, which is an exciting time to be able to introduce girls to international football. Yeah, it's going to be huge. Who introduced you to football? Was it Miles? Was it, was it the chasing big brother around the garden? Yeah, most definitely. I think Miles can take some credit for that and um, definitely Dad as well. So I was one of those girls that I did dancing 
um, and I'd finish dancing and I'd say, Mum, can I go see Dad at football practice at North? And I'd go and play with all the boys um, whilst Dad was coaching at Northfield um, in those youth age groups and just developing. But I, obviously, I've played multiple different sports forever um, and I only actually started playing football officially in a club. I was 11 when I joined Rovers, when they had their girls section. Um, so... I think Dad took me to one of the girls' festivals to go and look at every team and see who was on um, what club and who would I want to go and join. Um, and my good friend Steph Battis was playing for Rovers, so I went, I want to go to Rovers. And so joined at Rovers and played with them and, and developed through from 11 years old until 14. And from memory, there was... I had to stop at 14 for some reason. There wasn't an opportunity for 14 upwards and I had to wait until I was 16 to play women's football. So I couldn't play football, so I stopped playing football. Um, that doesn't happen now, though. No, so now we've created this yeah. fluid pathway yeah, yeah. that there's opportunities for them to be involved all the way through. Um, it's got to be. Yeah, yeah, so I stopped um, and then decided whilst I was doing sports at the College of FE, one of my mates was like, do you want to start playing football? So then I went and joined Vale Rec again with Steph Battis um, to play women's football from there. The the Women's League, as it is now, the Gens Women's League, the new Gens Women's League, um, runs through to, to January, I think. Um, is there sort of... A, talk already about extending the season or, or kind of running another cycle? Yeah, so I think it's either... It's still kind of to be decided, I suppose, but I think the idea is we play each other home and away, effectively, um, to create this cycle of it and then gauge where the teams are at and see whether we need to redraw teams to mix it up or whether it is it worth doing another cycle before redrawing. Because um, obviously... I'm sure you can understand that there's only three teams. You're only playing against two other teams all the time. So it's those similar faces. So is it we need to mix it up and swap a few players round um, just to mix the teams up to create it and make it more even? Um, but yeah, both games so far have been very competitive and pretty close. Do you envisage any interaction at all with Jersey sides at all? I mean, ahead of, you know... Yeah, in the build-up to, say, we say, game Yeah, so Jersey. I think, so, the league is obviously the Guernsey Women's Football League, and then we still have Guernsey Ladies FC, and I think Guernsey Ladies FC is still, there's a cup game in the Jersey competition, so we're still entered into that, and I believe it's March time that fixture is supposed to be played. Um, again, COVID-dependent, but that's 11 aside cup format fixture that we'll be involved in, and obviously players from all three of our Atletico um United and City teams would be selected to then play um, in that. Um, and hopefully, yeah, it'd be ideal to be able to play against the club teams before then having to play representative football for the Marathi. Well, it's fantastic to see the, the Women's League uh, up and running again. Um, best of luck in the rest of the, the fixtures, uh, either side of Christmas. Uh, it's going to be fun to see how it develops. Yeah, thank you very much. Exciting times. Yeah, thanks for coming in, Joel. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Joelle Pengeli from the Guernsey FA speaking to me and Rob a little earlier on. Yeah, fantastic to see women's league football returning uh, to the island. We've got fixtures in December and January too. And of course, a Marathi to look forward to, all being well. More on that over the coming weeks. Um, now let's turn our attention to the Premier League. Rob, I know you were down following the action on Saturday. We had four games this weekend. There was a 3-2 win for Manta away at Vale Rec. 
Sylvans beat Rangers 1-0 away. Uh, a 3-1 victory for champion St. Martins against Alderney and a decent win for North over Rovers 3-0 at Northville, which is where I think you were. Yeah, that's right, Tony. And uh, it was a, a very good performance by North um, who had Ross Cameron in charge. Jose, the coach, is away at the moment, I gather. Um, and actually, it was great to see, before we talk about the game, it was great to see um, Toots Bush on the sidelines. Now, some people wondering, Toots who? Toots Bush. Carl Bush has been around with the North set up for decades. He's gave, given absolutely stupendous service to that club most of it in the last 30 years as um sponge man should we say um and he he sort of took a bit of a rest a few seasons back but he's back now um on in the dugout or standing next to the dugout and i just want to say you know it's absolutely brilliant to see somebody who's north has been his life and, it, and he's always been a very fair and agreeable chap. So um, it was good to see that um, he's, he's, he's working for the club again. Um, on the pitch, as I said, they played really well. Um, Rovers, as you would expect, gave gave it all physically, you know, running running their legs off. But they were without, without a few players, um, Rovers. They didn't have Max Simpson-Cohen, who was absent. Um, Carlos Cagno was with GSC. Tyler McCain was with GFC. As we know, Finn Whitmore's at university. Um, so they were really, really struggling in the strikers' department. And, um, and to be honest, that was from quite early on. You could see that um, yeah, they were going to struggle to score. And um, even though North almost handed them a goal very early on with a defensive mistake, um, which would have been very embarrassing for their replacement goalkeeper. Um, but thankfully, to be honest, it, it didn't go in. <laughs> and um, they got away with that one. No, but I thought North were really good. Um, good performance. Um, a couple of players stood out for me. Um, one of them, again, was young Kindo on up front. He's really sort of come on a lot in recent times. Um, I know there's, high, there's long been high hopes for him as a future GFC footballer and a Marathi player. And you can see it potentially happening now. He's sort of filled out a bit this year. Lovely left foot, um, very, very good furniture, good work rate. And he seems, you know, I like the way he sort of drops off the um, the defenders, makes space for himself and, and you know, and will plays his part in building an attack. Um, very good foil for Sam Murray. So I think, you know, I could see North being the... Um, the closest challengers are St Martins. In fact, when they did play St Martins recently, I know they lost, but I mean, um, they did hand it to them. You know, a couple of goalkeeping, goal, bad goalkeeping errors there. But in general terms, they were the match for St Martins. And you look across their team, and they have got a lot of good players. Um, you look at the division, look at the division table actually at the moment, and you can see it's basically it's three different sections. You know, it's between Saints, North, and Rovers for the league. Nobody else can get there. And then you've got um, Sylvans and Bells in the middle and then the bottom four, Valrec, Alderney, Manza and Rangers fighting to avoid the wooden spoon. Um, at the moment, it's looking like Rangers, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they could sort of, you know, it wouldn't take much improvement for them to get a few places up the table. Yeah, we're not far off the halfway stage in this Priya campaign as well. Saints uh, top of the table, as you say, on 28 points. Rovers four points back and North six back from Saints on 22. Uh, St. Martin's not in action this weekend, so both of those sides have a chance to, to close the gap. You, you mentioned North as being possibly the, the side shaping up to be the closest challenger to, to the champion Saints. Um, six points the gap. It's a, a little gap, but it's not unsurmountable. 
No, it's not insurmountable. I'm, I'm, to be brutally honest, I don't expect them to, to close it fully. I think North, whilst their improvement has been quite marked this season, um, they still are a little bit flaky. They haven't got that cutting edge, that mentality that some artists have got, that ruggedness, that physical and mental strength, um, which keeps them plugging away, game in, game out. They can be, they can look pretty ordinary to mark, to be honest, to Martins at times, but they get the results. You know, it's very, very rare for them to slip up. And to be honest, unless they have some sort of major injury crisis where they lose half the team, I can't see, I can't see them slipping up over the course of the season. Well, you're supposed to be uh, kind of maintaining the uh, the idea that you know we've got a close title race on hands. Yeah, I'd like to, but you've got to be honest sometimes, and I just really can't see it. You know, they, you know they've got Jamie Dodd back now. You, you know, they've got so much, so many different individuals they can sort of who are match winners as well. You know, that's so. They, but they've got this mentality in the club, which the other, which their big rivals haven't. They've just got something about them, you know, which which basically is in sort of inverted commas winners. They've got that that mentality. I just mentioned Manza's win at the weekend because a very very early goal in that one, Rob. It must be among the earliest in prehistory. Yeah, apparently Piers Ockerford scored within eight seconds, which must be one of the earliest goals in the history of the competition. But obviously nobody's actually ever got recorded this as you know as a matter of fact. Um, but um, yeah, it was a great result for Manza. They were three 0 up, two 0 at half time. They went three 0 up in the second half when Marlon Jardim scored. And whilst you know on the face of it, it looks a close match, Vale's second goal didn't come till about the ninety second minute, so it wasn't that close. Um, now Manza making have had a pretty de- decent little run. You know they both they pushed Sir Martins and Rovers quite hard in their home games at KG Five, losing both of them three one having led in both on both occasions. Um, so they must be fairly uh, fairly chuffed with the position they're in, considering the you know the, the number of players they've lost um, since last season and all the problems they've had. Um, elsewhere, um, Freddie Walker went back to St Andrews and scored for his new team, Sylvans, to give them a hard-earned win at St Andrews. Um, and at Blanchepierre Lane, um, Saints... Beat Alderney 3-1 with another goal from George Mason. He's making a habit of it these days, the old defender. Having scored a screamer at the corporate field the other week, he had a, scored the first at Blanche Pier. And there were further goals from Callum Lasher and Ollie Smith to wrap that one up. Great stuff, Rob. Yeah, four matches to look forward to next weekend. Then, as I mentioned, Saints not in action, but it's Manza, Sylvans, North Alderney, Rangers, Velrec and Rovers, Bells. And we've got the FA Cup draw as well. Cup football to look forward to. Yeah, we've um, they've made the draw for the first round proper of the FA Cup. It wasn't live on radio and there were no men jangling balls live on the air to get any excitement. Um, to be honest, um, we're still at the stage where we've got lots of veterans teams and second teams in to sort of... Um, to sort of complicate matters, uh, we have one interesting um, all Premier League tie in for you know fighting for place in the last eight, and that's Bells against Rangers. Um, but the most intriguing game, I would say, hasn't a guess at, would be the match involving um, Rockane Pirates, who are unbeaten in Lancaster Division One, who are lying second on goal difference to Rovers. They they play host to Manza 
um, for a place in the quarterfinals. And I should imagine that would be one where the Pirates will fancy that they can win. Also, we've got um, St Martins will play the Rovers veterans. We've got the Manza veterans against the Rovers second team. Valrec play Rangers seconds. CF Independent play the defending champion Sylvans. I fancy an away win there. <laughs> um, and then we have Northerners against St Martins railway side and the Northerners second team um, against the Rovers second team, which will be an intriguing game because they're both quite handy sides there. But um, yeah, those games will be played in January, I believe. Um, and to be honest, on a, on a broader note, we've had a you know pretty good run. Um, Matt Liu has had a easy time in terms of fixtures so far this season. I believe there's only been one Prio League game cancelled and uh, postponed so far. That was the recent Bells North game, which was mysteriously postponed um, a couple of Fridays ago. But so we're well up well up to date on that. Yeah, as I say, we're basically at almost the halfway point, and we're not into December yet. So things are looking good in that respect. We might not be playing football in June and July next year. Let's hope we you haven't jinxed it. We'll be back next week with another Guernsey Press football show. As I say, do hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast to get all these shows delivered straight to you. Um, do pick up a paper and do follow us on social media. At GSY Press Sport is a place to go on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Cheers, Rob. Cheers, Tony. 